Have we ever believed that we were correct about something, but in the end we found out that we were mistaken? Perhaps we believed that we were so right about something, we were willing to argue about it. We just, in our mind, we knew, we were 100% certain that we were correct and the other person was wrong. But one day, sooner or later, we found out that we were in, in wrong. We were in error. In the New Testament, there is a word which is used about 15 times, and that word might be defined as thought. The Bible tells us, and we know as we look at life, that there are people who believe, they think certain things. Of the 15 times that this term is used, in almost every place, there are three exceptions. But in almost every place, it describes people who were thinking something. They were believing something. They were sincerely convinced that something was true. But even though they had that seer sincere belief, they were incorrect. Their firm conviction was not right. We're going to, Lord willing, look at this morning and this afternoon, 13 of the 15 places that this is, uh, this word is used, at least uh, 12 in detail, the 13th one briefly. And one of the places where we find it, the first place that we find it is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's Matthew's account of that, we find that the Lord gave some warnings. Jesus knew that there would be some people who would think that he came to destroy some things. When you look at the life of Christ, when you see what Jesus did, you can understand why people might have thought that, that Jesus came to tear down some things. But Jesus says, don't think that about me. Don't have that conviction about me. Don't believe about me that I came to destroy some things. Jesus said, rather than destroy, he said, I've come to fulfill. I've come to make known what the Old Testament really promised. Jesus' use of this word in Matthew 5 and verse 17 tells us that people can think, they can believe that they have correct religious ideas. Even though a person may have some very firm, some very strong religious ideas, Jesus said firmness about a person's convictions may not be an indicator of truth. Throughout the Bible, we have a lot of examples as far as people having wrong but very sincere religious convictions. There were some Jews who sincerely believed for a while that they could worship the God of heaven and they could also worship idols, but that sincere belief was wrong. There were some Jews who thought that they could offer junk sacrifices to God. Well, we don't have a use for this um, uh, animal that has been handicapped. It is disabled. It is not suitable for us, but God will take it. We're sure of that. And Jesus said no. Jesus encountered some Pharisees. And those men thought that God would overlook their hypocrisy. Perhaps they really believed that in the mind. But Jesus said no. The New Testament describes some false teachers who apparently, in spite of their false teaching, thought that they were just like that with God. We're good. But even though they sincerely believed that, the Bible said no. If you follow the news, perhaps over the last week or so, you've seen what has been taking place at a university, Asbury University in Kentucky. And what has taken place in Asbury, Kentucky, what's being sometimes referred to as a revival, this spontaneous worship, it's now being spread into uh, other parts of the U.S., some other college campuses. An ordinary chapel service at Asbury has turned into an extended time of praise and worship. It's now being said that there is a spiritual awakening among many young people, at least college age. As various reports of that are circulating, I don't know about you, but I've seen some people and in some cases, members of the church thinking that this is of God. This is 100% of God. There is no way that this cannot be of or from God. Well, I didn't time this lesson for what's taking place on some university campuses. But it just so happens that what's taking place lines up with today's material. And God uses this special term in the New Testament to tell us that even though people might be firmly convinced 
even though people might really believe that something is true, it very well may be the opposite. It very well might be false. All too often as we look at our society, and this has been true for a long time, people will judge someone or something by a standard other than God's word. Sometimes what is judged is determined by how people feel about something. They like someone, they like something, they're enthused about something, and because of how they feel about that, it is deemed good, it is deemed of God. Or it might be people judge something based on who is involved. Well, my Loved one, my friend, my whoever would not be involved with something which is wrong, something which is bad, something which is contrary to God. So because of who is involved, it must then be right. It is also possible to judge someone or something based on outward appearances. And that also can be a faulty standard of judgment. There are several verses in the Bible which tell us to judge things not based on appearance. To judge things according to the standard that exists. And when it comes to Asbury, we have some things taking place such as you see here. Here's a quote from one of the young people. People were telling me, this is a lady who went forward and gave a testimony. People were telling me you don't know how many people you save with that testimony. Now think about that. You went forward. You went forward in a large group of people. You gave a testimony and your testimony saved people. Does that statement line up with scripture or does it not? What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it, that is the gospel, is God's power to salvation. Now Paul could have said his testimony or the testimony of other Christians was what saves people. But that's not what he said. He said it is the gospel. It is the word of God. And that statement is so clear. Yet when we look at what is taking place at Asbury and some of the places, we find some things that are inconsistent, if not an outright contradiction with the Bible. Now, someone says, hey, look, you know, if you're going to talk about Asbury in a negative way or some other place, uh, you know, you sound like you are one of the devil's lieutenants. I recognize that it is not popular for people to point out some things and how they conflict with Scripture, but God's Word says what it does. When we look at this word, which is the term that we want to focus on today, we find that it's used a second time in the New Testament. And the second time is Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. This is the second time the word is used, and this is the second time we find Jesus saying, don't get some wrong ideas about me. Don't draw some wrong conclusions and then cement in your mind those wrong conclusions. It almost seems like Jesus, as he uses this word, he knows. And he's predicting that there would be some people who would get some wrong beliefs about him. They would have some wrong conceptions about him. And Jesus warns people and says, don't you go down that road. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but there are some researchers who are doing their best to understand how the current generation, how some young people understand Jesus. If you look into some of that research, you're going to find some things which are probably eye-opening. It's not a surprise that there are some young people who think that Jesus was someone who came to this earth and he was focused on social justice. Now, that's not news to me, and I suspect that's not news to many of you. But if you were to look at some young minds, do you know that there are a sizable number of young people who believe that Jesus came into this world and he sinned? Now, if you are of an older generation, that's probably going to shock you. But if you are of a newer generation, that's probably not going to be too surprising. If you look at what some of the younger folks believe, the Jesus of the Bible in their mind is someone who was not raised from the dead. Now, I'm not sure how that idea lines up with some of their other beliefs, but that is a conviction of several young people. And then this one. There are a number of young people who, as they think about Jesus, oh, they believe in him, but they would say he is not active in the in the world today. Now, I don't know how you can have a Jesus who was not raised from the dead and can still possibly be active today. Those two things would, to me, seem to be contradictory. 
But nevertheless, that's what we're finding as far as some of the surveys with young people. If those ideas are true, that Jesus was not raised from the dead, Jesus is not active in today's world, and that Jesus committed sin, how on earth, why on earth would anyone pray in the name, by the authority of, by the power of Jesus Christ? When we look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, we find this word being used, and it comes with a warning. Jesus says, don't think some things about me. He says, don't draw the conclusion, don't have the firm belief that I came to give peace to the world. Now, in our time, we have a lot of people focused on peace. Make peace, find peace, strive for peace, and do that through equity. Get Jesus because he is going to be the key to peace and social justice. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible came and said, repent or perish. The Jesus of the Bible came and said, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I have come to seek and save the lost. Jesus talked about living a life which centers on God, which focuses on God, rather than being a child of the devil. Jesus specifically warned people, be careful about what you believe when it comes to me. People are going to promote false ideas about me. And when people pull from sources other than the Bible, they will come out with false conceptions of Christ. Don't be one of the foolish ones who draws some wrong conclusions about Christ and then holds to those views. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 10, Jesus uses this word again. This is the third time that occurs in Scripture. Now, if you were to flip your Bible over to Matthew chapter 20, you would find that it begins with a parable. And this verse is part of that parable. Jesus described a landowner. He describes a man who needs some workers. So Jesus says this man goes out early. And he goes out and he hires some workers. As Jesus gives his teaching, he said this parable teaches some things about the kingdom of God. This landowner hires some men at daybreak. And those men are hired at an agreed upon wage. And then at 9 a.m., this man needs some additional workers, so he goes out a second time. At 9 a.m., he gets some additional help. And then he goes out again at 3 p.m. or thereabouts. Then the man goes out once more. And this time he goes out towards the end of the workday. It is now 5 p.m. There is not much time left to work. The teaching indicates that all the men who were offered employment said yes. Yes, we'll start at daybreak. Yes, we'll start at nine. Yes, we'll start at three. Yes, we'll start at five. We'll do exactly what you ask. Then Jesus gets to the end of the day. In this culture, people were not paid weekly. They were not paid once a month. They were paid at the end of the day. As he gives this teaching, Jesus says the people who started at five o'clock, they worked the least. They showed up the first to get paid. Now, before we continue this teaching, let's pause just a minute and ask a question. Let's reflect. If I had been hired at 5 p.m., and you signed on at daybreak. As you see me, what would you be thinking? I signed on at five. You've been working since daybreak. Would you be thinking that you and I would get the same wage? You've been working out there in the sun. Hard day. You've worked all day. I show up. I work for an hour or less. And you've been out there for eight or nine or maybe ten hours. What would you be thinking about your pay compared to mine? Well, if you're like most people, you would be thinking, if I worked all day, I should get more than the guy who worked about an hour. That's just how we think. As we look at this teaching, though, Jesus says that the thinking, and there's that word again, they suppose those people who started at the beginning of the day, they supposed, they believed, they were firmly convinced that they were going to get more money than the people who started working at five o'clock. But you know how the story ends? Jesus says that supposition, that belief, that conviction was wrong. It was 100% wrong. Every single person in that money got the same, in, in that story got the same amount of money. The people who started at uh, daybreak got
got the same amount as the people who started at nine and three and the people who finally began to work at five. The first three times that this word is used in the New Testament, it is associated with Jesus and Jesus uses the word to remind us again, again, and again, you can believe something, you can be firmly convinced about something, you might have no doubt, you might be positively assured that something is true, especially in the area of religion, but just because you feel that, just because you believe that, just because you have that conviction, that does not mean it is correct, regardless of how sincere you may be. Let's apply that to our time. Have you ever met someone who is sincerely convinced that women preachers are just fine? I have. Have you met someone who is firmly persuaded that changing the day of worship from Sunday to some other day does not matter? Or someone is firmly persuaded that we can take part of the Old Testament and mix that in with part of the New Testament and we're good? Or someone who is firmly convinced that tithing is 100% acceptable to God? Thinking about our worship, we can bring an instrument into New Testament worship and God's going to be good with that. Or the conviction, the absolute firm belief that baptism is not required for salvation. You can just go down the list and put all kinds of things there. Matthew chapter 20, when we look at the text, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 10, it does not say, well, you thought wrong, but that's okay. I'll accept your error and we'll do things as you think. No, Matthew 20, Matthew 5, Where we see this word being used, God says, you have a noggin, you have a brain. I expect you to use that. I expect you to apply the information that I have given you in a correct way. One of the challenges of being a preacher is expressing things in the best possible way. I'm going to back up a little bit to last week. Last week, if you were here, I spoke about drop-off boxes for children. And after that lesson, I had someone come up and offer a very thoughtful reflection that I appreciated. The person indicated that as uh, that person heard the information, that sounded very negative. And the uh, person indicated that there have been some positive things which have come from the ability to drop off a child that someone has, has chosen not to raise and indicated to me that our state has a similar program. So I didn't express that point very well, so I want to pause for just a moment and um, express my apology for that. And I do want to take that point and add that today we're dealing with kind of a similar situation. We have, as we look at this particular word, the same kind of thing that can arise. Someone might look at this information and think, well, it, it just sounds like a very negative lesson. Well, let's put the pause button there. Is the word that we're looking at only used in a negative way? Or we might ask the question in this way. The people that would um, be in the category that we're talking about, are there always bad people? And the answer to that question is no. What would you say if I told you that the word that we are looking at applied to the parents of Jesus? Would you believe that as we look at Joseph and Mary, the couple that God selected for his son to be raised by, that they also fell victim to this word? It's true. Take a look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 44. But supposing, there's that word again, The people that are being described, they were firmly convinced. They really believed this. But supposing him, that's Jesus, to be in the company, they went a day's journey and they sought for him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. Jesus was close to being a teenager. He was 12 years old. While he was that preteen, his parents took him to the city of Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph, they left the city of Jerusalem. They're headed back home. They've got their family members and they leave Jesus behind. 
Imagine for us, trying to put this into today's realm, imagine thinking that everybody is in the car, we leave from the place where we've gone, and we suspect that uh, we've got everybody, we, we drive for a period of time, and then we get maybe 200 miles down the road, and we realize that we left someone behind. The person that we leave behind is not an adult. The person that we leave behind is a pre-teen child. Jesus was thought to be part of the group. Mary and Joseph really believed that he was somewhere in the group that was headed back to where they were going. And then after they were some distance away, they realized that he was missing. Now, good people, very fine people, can think something and they can believe something. Some of the best people can be firmly convinced that something is absolutely true. And Luke 2 and verse 44 says that even though they are some of the finest people, they still can be horribly mistaken. Wrong thinking does not necessarily mean that a person is a bad person. Incorrect thinking does mean that when that error, when that mistake is uncovered, when it is found, that people need to act. Mary and Joseph didn't realize their error and say, oh, well, hey, look, he's 13, almost, and he can figure out how to get home. He's a smart fella. And he'll just get it worked out. Let's not go back and uh, waste waste the time as far as backtracking. You know, there are some people who figure out they're wrong or they're told that they're wrong and they don't care. There are some people in life, they can be shown their error and they refuse to change. When that happens in the secular realm, it may not be a big problem. But when that happens in the spiritual realm, those consequences can be eternally unfavorable. At the bottom of the slide, we see Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. There the Bible says that there were some people, they supposed, they believed that Jesus was the biological son of Jesus. How firmly were they convinced that Jesus was the son of Joseph? Oh, they were sure. Ask someone, well, who is Jesus' father? Oh, he's Joseph. We know who he is. He's my next door neighbor. I work with him. I've known him for years. Oh, they believed that. And they were firmly convinced. They were absolutely certain that Joseph was the father of Jesus, but they were one hundred percent wrong. Jesus was raised by Joseph at least for a period of time based upon what we can tell, but he certainly was not Jesus' father. Our world has often followed the majority when it comes to thinking and various actions. Being part of the herd is a very easy thing to do. Going along with the crowd requires almost no effort. What everyone else does, what everyone else thinks, it's very easy to blend in with the group. But just because the majority supposes something, like we see from Luke chapter 3 and verse 23, that does not mean that it is true, that it is right, or that it is correct. Yet as we look at our time, what do we find? Typically we find that the majority of people are often seen as the standard for truth. Whatever the majority believes, whatever the majority does, that's what I will believe, and that is what I will do. Don't suppose or don't conclude that things are true just because a high percentage of the people are doing something or saying something. God has used a very specific word to tell us what someone else really believes, and they might be a good person, they might be sincere in their belief. It still could be absolutely false. The problem that we're looking at is by no means a new issue. We also, as far as this word, find it in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7 and verse 25. If you were to look at the context, you would find that that verse deals with Moses. There was a time in Moses' life, and if there is anyone who's ever been a good person, it was Moses. God uses this word to say there was a time in Moses' life when he believed. 
There was a time in Moses' life when he was 100% certain that fellow Israelites understood that he was going to be the deliverer. Now, that was true. He was a deliverer. But Moses, at this time, he's looking at his brethren and is thinking, they got it. They understand. They know how God is going to use me. Acts 7 and verse 25 says, though, that at this time, Moses' brethren didn't get it. How fully did Moses believe that his brethren understood? He believed it to the point where he killed a man. Now, if you believe something so strongly, so passionately, that you're willing to take the life of another man, you really must have faith. And that was the level that Moses had as far as the conviction. He killed a man because he really believed his brethren understood that he was a deliverer, but his belief was wrong. He was incorrect. He made an assumption which was not right. If Moses could be wrong about this, then circling back a little bit, what about religious movements like we see at Asbury? If you talk to the people who are there, if you listen to the people there, they will say, we know, we are 100% sure there is no way at all that this could not be from God. This must be from God. It must be right. How sure was Moses that his brethren saw him as a deliverer? You see, when it comes to the spiritual realm, we need book, chapter, and verse. We need to be able to find it to substantiate it somehow from the scripture. We need to do that because as human beings, we are fallible. We are imperfect in so many ways. Parents were infallible. Even the best parents, Mary and Joseph. A great religious leader, Moses, was fallible. Look again at the picture that we have on the slide. I thought it would fit. If you saw the Facebook graphic that we used, it was someone trying to put a couch, I guess they didn't have a tape measure, but someone to put uh, a couch in between two walls, and the couch didn't fit. Those have been famous last words for some people. I thought. The gun, I thought, was unloaded. There were some stories about that recently. All kinds of lives have been wrecked, physically and spiritually, because people thought. Moving down a little bit more, we have Acts chapter 8 and verse 20 as far as the next time that this word is being used. There was a man who had become a Christian, Simon the Sorcerer, and he says, I thought, I really believe that the Holy Spirit could be bought my money. Are you kidding me? Who would believe that? Who would think that? Don't you have any sense whatsoever? I really thought that. I really believe that. And he found out his error. Today, people still think that they can get God to do this or that, but they're wrong. As we look at Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, we have some information about Paul. There was a time in his life where Paul had been persecuted and people thought, people believed that he was really dead. As we look at Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, I was reminded of a story which happened earlier this month. There was uh, a few weeks ago, a 66-year-old Iowa woman, she was in a nursing home. And she wasn't doing too well. She, at least according to the staff, was believed to have died. So the staff comes and they determine that she is dead. They put her in a body bag and they take her to a funeral home. This is a true story. Funeral home opens up the bag and this woman is in there and she is gasping for air. Now, can you imagine if you were the funeral director and you open up this bag where you're expecting a deceased person and the individual is gasping for air? Can you imagine what was said to the people at the nursing home and what they said? We thought she was dead. We believed she was dead. We were so convinced that she had passed on that we had her taken to the undertaker. 
Well, there was a time where people thought Paul was dead. People really had that conviction. And then we have, as we look at the slide, Acts chapter 16 and verse 13. Now, this is one of those three passages. We're not going to look at 1 Corinthians 7, 26, and 36 because those two verses have a different meaning. But I will highlight quickly Acts chapter 16 and verse 13. Paul supposed that there was a place of prayer. Now, whether or not that assumption was exactly right or not, at least he was headed in the right direction. So, uh, like I say, at least 12 of these words have that uh, particular connotation, possibly this one as well. But there are certainly a number of passages which use this word, the majority use this word, to describe that wrong thinking exists and that wrong thinking is a big, big deal. Moving down a little bit more, Acts chapter 16 and verse 27. You may remember from Acts chapter 16, we also have some information about a man who was a jailer, the Philippian jailer. There was an earthquake. Paul and Silas, they had been imprisoned. They were singing praises to God. About midnight, there was an earthquake. And the jailer, being roused out of the sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. In this culture, if you were a jailer, you were responsible for your prisoners. And if you lost your prisoners, your life was over. It was game over. This was the one thing that you could not and would not do. Well, the jailer's asleep. He's roused from his sleep because of the earthquake. And he realizes that the cell doors have sprung open. He's assuming, he believes, he's firmly convinced that the prisoners have escaped. And who would not believe that? I mean, if there's an earthquake that opens up the cell doors, it pretty much destroys the prison. Who's thinking that the prisoners are going to hang around there? So he is firmly convinced that the prisoners have left. And with that conviction, he takes the sword and he's willing to plunge it into his body and to take his life. Paul calls out and says, we're all here. Do thyself no harm. But this word also applied to this man who is a non-Christian. Thinking about this term, we can apply it in a lot of different ways. We can suppose the worst about someone. We can believe, we can be absolutely convinced about someone and say, oh, I know him, I know her, I know them. But it might be that as some additional time, as some additional information comes to light, what we were so convinced about, we find out that it's not true. What about future circumstances? Have you ever been convinced? Have you ever been absolutely persuaded that, uh, that future circumstances are going to be really good or really bad? But it didn't turn out to be quite like you believed. We can suppose that tomorrow or some other day in the future is going to be the absolute best or the absolute worst day of our life. As a young person, as an older person. But that firm conviction after some time passes does not turn out to be true. We can suppose and suppose and suppose. And we can believe and believe and believe. But as this word shows us at least 12 times in the New Testament, a lot of what we believe, a lot of what we suppose is not just wrong. It is absolutely wrong. The right course that we find from God's word is seek the truth, seek facts, establish what is right, and then maintain that faith and trust from God. There is no better way to live, but that's not how our world wants to live. We can be persuaded of what's right, especially in the spiritual realm. It's in the book, but so many people will base their life and base their judgments on something else. We've seen the wrong road. We hopefully know and understand the right road. Do we want to follow it? And will we follow it? Let's make that decision as we stand and sing.